If you've got any keys nearby you, would you pick up your keys, please? This is kind of crazy, but let's just try this. Some of you are going, what are you talking about? Just grab your keys, will you? Grab your keys. And most of you are doing that. Some of you are going, I will not pick up my keys. Well, <laughs> just grab your keys. And if you haven't got any, just pretend, okay? Just, just hold them out. And, okay, hold them out. This is, uh, this is the key to my truck. I, I've got me a truck now. I've never had a truck before. I like having a truck. And uh, that's my truck key. And this is, my, this is my tile that I can, when I lose my keys, I can dial this. And it, it tells me where the keys are. It only happens, I only lose my keys three or four times a day. So that's pretty useful. This, this opens up something that is locked. Man, there's a profound statement. Sometimes our hearts are locked. And I, I want you to keep your keys close to hand because we're asking God this weekend, not just that we might gather information, but perhaps there are areas of our hearts that he, by his spirit, wants to unlock. Would you just pray with me for a moment? In fact, stand with me if you're able. Let's do this. Let's just stand for a moment. We hold out our hands, we hold out these keys. They are symbols of stuff that is locked up right now, and some of us, our hearts are too, in certain areas. We invite you, Spirit of God, to be among us, to do what you would like to do. We invite you to dig deep into our hearts and lives. We agree together in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm jolly glad to be sitting next to you, and then sit down. <laughs> well, we are, we are continuing our encounter series, thinking about the Lord's Prayer. Last weekend, we were thinking about forgive. This weekend, we're thinking about forgive, forgiving others. We're going to look at Matthew 6. Some verses from there as Jesus continues to teach us how to pray. He says that we should say, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And then later he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I've been thinking this week about things that are hard to do in everyday life. I'm not talking about the heavy stuff, the big traumas, just things that we find challenging. I was reflecting about that. What do, what do I find kind of difficult? Well, there's a few things. Number one, horse riding. I'm not good at that. I'm just not good uh, how many love horse riding? You just, oh, that's, I'm happy for you, but that thing's got no steering wheel or brakes. And so it makes me nervous. When I've arrived, done that, which is about once a decade, I tend to grip its ears so tight. Its eyes are bloodshot and wild and staring. Not really good at horse riding. I'm not really good at practical stuff. You know that. We bought a pressure washer yesterday. Pray for us. Uh, last time I used a pressure washer, I did the deck, and I did it barefoot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Look, honey, this thing is really powerful. I just lost three toes. Isn't that cute? 
Preaching my first sermon, that was hard. I was like 18 or something. It was, it was horrible. It was awful. I've got the notes still. Uh, it was entitled, Christians Don't Have Problems. Uh, you want to know the three points? They're dynamic. Point number one, Christians don't have problems. Point number two, if you've got a problem, tell Jesus. Point number three, if you've got a problem and you tell Jesus and it doesn't go away, then you're probably not a Christian anyway. It was awful. Terrible. And, and what made it worse is I was so nervous, I got a bit sweaty, and I got a microphone in this hand and a Bible in this hand, and my glasses started to slide down my nose. And I'm conscious of this, so I thought, how do I deal with this? So I'm in the middle of preaching, I just went like this. <laughs> the first three rows were jumping out of their skin like... Some people thought I was having a Holy Spirit manifestation. They're going like, more Lord, more Lord. Preaching my first sermon, that wasn't easy. Here's something that's not easy. We all have to do it. It's called forgiving. Easy to talk about, not so easy to do. My, my esteemed favorite writer, I quoted him last week, Lewis, Professor Lewis Smeads. He says, forgiving is love's toughest work. And love's the biggest risk. If you twist it into something it was never meant to be, it can make you a doormat or an insufferable manipulator. Forgiving seems almost unnatural. Our sense of fairness tells us people should pay for the wrong they do. But forgiving is love's power to break nature's rule. Now, now we know that, and it's possible to believe in the theory of forgiveness, but then when you have to do it, that's different. C.S. Lewis said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. This is where I have to get vulnerable. Sometimes I hate getting vulnerable, but thank you, Timberline family, for letting me be me. I decided a long time ago that I want to be a, an example as a leader, but being an example and projecting an image are not the same thing. That's why I sometimes just tell you the way it is when I mess it up. A few years ago, um, I handed a ministry together with some colleagues back in the UK. I handed the ministry over to somebody else, which they accepted gratefully. And then about a year later, this person uh, wrote a six-page article in a national Christian publication criticizing me and other members of our team. And I was mad. And it was unfair. He, he apologized a year later. Took him a year, took me six months. I got vaguely weary and depressed about it. And I, do you know what? I, I didn't want to forgive him. I wanted to send him a horse's head in the mail, honey. <laughs> but then I had to go and preach on forgiveness somewhere. That's awkward. Like, really? Do you want me to really talk about that? It wasn't easy. Why do I tell you that? I tell you that because I don't want you to think that, that I or Pastor Darry or anybody else, we don't sit up here five and a half feet above contradiction, floating around above the challenges of life. It's tough for us as it is for you. It can be difficult. So what, what can we learn about, about forgiveness as we look at this in the context of the Lord's Prayer? If you're following in in the bulletin there in the program, number one is this. Number one, we receive it, so we give it. We receive it, so we give it. Simply put, Jesus teaches us, forgive because you've been forgiven. 
And the Apostle Paul picks up that theme as he writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, look at this, just as in Christ God forgave you. When Jesus says, ask for forgiveness and give it, this is the only sentence in the entire Lord's Prayer that is given additional commentary. And so again, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This idea of you get it, so pass it around, that was a Jewish, that was embedded in Jewish thinking. What this is, is not salvation by giving forgiveness. That is not what Jesus is teaching. How many know that we are saved not by any works, but simply through the work that Jesus did at the cross? You can say amen or something like that. And so we are not forgiving in order to be justified before God. We are forgiving because we have been justified before God. But Jesus is teaching us here that if we truly understand that we've been forgiven, forgiven, then we will pass grace around. At one level, it's kind of challenging this because we can never know whether we have perfectly forgiven someone. Even, even as I talked about that particular issue in my life, as I've talked about that this weekend, I've been asking God, is there, is there, is there still anything going on in here that needs to be sorted out? But if we're forgiven, then we should forgive let's let's back away from that or back up from that just a little one way of not getting ourselves into a mess with this is not to be one of those people who's easily offended you ever met christians you ever met christians whose hobby is being offended that they were born offended they got irritated with the midwife don't you slap me honey (laughs) they get offended at little stuff I heard of a church that divided because a a leader in the church, a board member, was served a smaller piece of ham at the church potluck dinner than the child that was sitting next to him. He looked at his plate. He looked at the child's plate. His ham, his portion of ham was smaller. (laughs) They split the church. Nuts. Maybe we wouldn't have to forgive so much if we were a little more forbearing. There's a Bible word, forbearing. Look at this, Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. There it is again. Ephesians 4.2. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That word bearing there means to be long-tempered rather than short-tempered. This was radical stuff in a Greco-Roman world where humility was despised. It wasn't considered to be a virtue. That was a virtue of slaves. If you were a real man, for example, you weren't humble, you weren't forgiven, you were rough and tough. And now the Bible drives a truck through that kind of thinking and says, no, forbear with each other. Forgive each other. I'm challenged by this. Do you have a short fuse? Do you... When people get around you, is the sound of cracking eggshells deafening? 
be careful. It can be a bit touchy, you know. I mean, I shared this last night in the service, and my wife was here, and I, I had to qualify this because she was here, and we got home at the end of the evening. She said, what's with the public confession, Jeff? Well, the public confession was this. I do words. I love words. I love to write words. I love to speak words. I love to carefully choose words, to communicate words. It's my thing. It's also my weakness. Because here's the confession. Here we go again. Here's my confession. When I get under pressure, when I feel overwhelmed, there is a danger that I can whip out a sentence that is powerful and acerbic and will cut you dead. Doesn't happen very often. When it does, I'm deeply ashamed. Long-tempered. What, what about when you get that email that irritates you? My wife says, wait 24 hours. I'm like, why? I've got the anointing now. <laughs> and I press reply. And here's a way to know that you're heading for trouble. You hit that keyboard hard. You stare at the email on the screen and then your finger hovers above the enter button. Angels lean over the parapet of heaven in amazement, wondering if you will press it. <laughs> and then you go, ah! Are you long-tempered, touchy? Quick to be offended. Forgiveness, secondly. Forgiveness clears the toxicity of bitterness. It clears the toxicity of bitterness. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Yesterday I went out and I got the pressure washer and I bought me some Roundup. Because we got weeds. And these weeds are evil. They're like triffids. And I went out last night and I did spray the weeds. And then I stood there and I'm, I waited for them to die. And my wife said, honey, I think it takes a little longer. But those things are so infectious. The Hebrews talks about this bitter root that grows up. And sometimes bitterness can come from the most trivial problems. In this book, Love in a time in the time of cholera, Gabriel Garcia Marquez chronicles the story of a disintegration of a marriage over a bar of soap. The husband is upset with his wife because she does not put soap out for him. <laughs> Says in the book, even when they were old, they were very careful about bringing it up, for the barely healed wounds could begin to bleed again as if they were only inflicted yesterday over soap. But when we decide we don't want to be bitter, there is a prisoner that gets released. It's called us. Lewis Smedes again. When you release the wrongdoer from the wrong, you cut a malignant tumor out of your inner life. You set a prisoner free, but then you discover that the real prisoner was yourself. See, bitterness, it kind of spills into every aspect of our lives. Anybody here, confession time again. Anyone here, you ever do the chuntering thing? Chuntering is when you're mad with someone and you're alone in your car and you pretend that they're in the car and you tell them what you would tell them 
if you could. Anyone ever do that? Raise your hand if you ever do that. A few of you. Raise your hand if you never raise your hand when the preacher asks them. <laughs> Someone had made me mad. Let me qualify this by saying this was years ago. It makes me feel so much better about myself. And someone had made me mad, and I'm driving along, and I am telling them what for. Just realized that it must have been in England, because I'm looking over there. <laughs> I am telling them. I got right. I'm yelling. I am giving. I, I'm just taking my liberty. And I pulled up at a stoplight, and I'm, I carried on. And then I, you know when you have that sense <laughs> that someone's looking at you? And I, I turned around and there's a guy right there at the stoplight. And he's looking at me. His eyes are big. He sees me yelling. You know what I did? This could be helpful advice for you. I pretended I was on a hands-free cell phone. So I said, right, that's it then. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And I pressed a button on the dashboard. <laughs> And the hazard warning lights came on. It's like. <laughs> See, bitterness infects life. Henry Emerson Fosdick said this bitterness imprisons life, love releases it. Bitterness paralyzes life, love empowers it. Bitterness sours life, love sweetens it. Bitterness sickens life, love heals it. Bitterness blinds life, love anoints its eyes. Someone has said, Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. Corrie Ten Boom, concentration camp survivor, noticed that those who were willing to forgive their captors the horrifying things that they did were the ones who recovered sooner. Those who nursed their bitterness remained dysfunctional. She said it was simple and as horrible as that. And it affects others too. Anyone here on Facebook? Not right now, I mean just generally. You know, you take photographs of your breakfast <laughs> so that the world can stand amazed at that omelette. It's beautiful. I could take you to a family right now that's been having a family war on Facebook for the last, I don't know, seven or eight years. They don't talk to each other. They attack each other on Facebook. The kids aren't allowed to speak to each other. They've already told each other through Facebook that they won't be at each other's funerals. And here's the deal. These people are Christians. It's nauseating. What about bitterness in our hearts? Is there something that God wants to unlock? Number three. Number three. Forgiveness trusts God and is an act of faith. It trusts God and is an act of faith. Romans 12 verse 19. It's a strange verse. But it, it says this, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You see, there are times when we just have to say over to you, God, and leave it with him. I've seen people who don't share our Christian faith do that. In 1991, Saddam Hussein announced that every city and town in Israel was a viable target for chemical weapon and nuclear attack. A few years later, Kay and I accompanied the Archbishop of Canterbury's special envoy to the Middle East. Nothing important about us, we were just there as observers. 
Kay and myself and the Archbishop's envoy went into the foreign minister's office in Israel. And Kay and I sat in the corner just watching while these two men, the envoy and the foreign minister, talked about Israel flying Saddam Hussein's nephew who was battling cancer, flying him to Tel Aviv, treating him for free as a gesture of goodwill. And they did it. And sadly, the, the surgery was not a success, but they did it. They, they stepped out trying to offer an olive branch, if you will. There are times when, as people of faith, we're, we're stepping out. We're saying, God, I have to trust you with this. Number four. Number four, forgiveness requires careful reflection about what it is and what it is not. It requires careful reflection about what it is and what it isn't. You see, some of us don't forgive because we've misunderstood what's required here. So forgiveness, let's look at this. Forgiveness is not allowing someone to escape from the consequences of a crime. And it is not approving or justifying what was done to us. God hates sin and calls us away from it. Forgiveness doesn't pretend that something was that was bad was really good. Forgiveness does not always involve reconciliation. That may not be possible. And let me just give an addendum to that. It doesn't always mean that there is a restoration of trust. Rick Warren says forgiveness deals with the past. Trust deals with the future. If I hand you the keys to my truck and you drive it into a wall and ride it off, I might forgive you eventually, but I'm not going to give you the keys to a car that I own again too quick. That trust might need to be regained. It might never be given. Forgiveness is not forgetting what was done to us. We choose rather not to remember. Clara Barton, who founded the Red Cross, someone really wounded her. Years later, a friend came to her and said, don't you remember what they did to you? And Clara said, I distinctly remember forgetting it. It's not that somehow this is erased from our memory. It's forgiveness, someone has said, is remembering the past so that it might be forgotten. And it's not pretending that we have not been hurt. And it's not suspending our critical faculties. You know, one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible is, judge not that you be not judged. That's talking about judgmentalism. But sometimes when a Christian leader says that's wrong, people say, well, don't, don't judge. But we are called to make, Scripture makes judgment about morality. We are called to judge prophecy, to judge teaching. And so it's not suspending our critical faculties. Here's what forgiveness is. It's taking control again. Denise and Bill Green, their son, William, was admitted to a British hospital back in 1992. Sadly, he died. The hospital removed his organs for, for research together with the organs of hundreds of small children without parental permission. When the news broke, the parents had to go through this agony once again of kind of funerals that had to take place to rightly 
bury those organs that have been removed without permission. The health secretary at the time said, this is unforgivable. And Denise Green disagreed. She said, what happened was out of my control. But how I respond is within my control. Forgiveness. Let's understand what it is and what it isn't. Last thing is this. Forgiveness is often a journey rather than a moment. It's often a journey rather than a moment. Martin Luther King said, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It's a permanent attitude. I have been anxious at times when I've gone to church gatherings and the preacher has stood up and, he's, he, and it's often a man. He said something like this, you must forgive right now. Now let me speak to you as a pastor. In that audience, in that congregation, there will be women as well as men who have been horribly abused, perhaps by a man who told them what to do and it was unspeakable. Now another man is standing up saying, you gotta do this now. I think that there's a potential abuse in that. And it can lead to what psychologists describe as premature forgiveness. Where we just say, without reflection or thought, or taking any kind of journey, yeah, I forgive. Now, now, maybe there are some people who can do that about certain things. But very often, forgiveness is a long journey. And maybe anger needs to be expressed. Listen, everybody, let me bear my heart again. I'm angry about last night in London. I'm screaming mad about the carnage that happened in my home city and 12 people arrested in the very part of London where I became a Christian. I'm angry about it and I think it's right that I'm angry about it because God hates sin and he hates the victimization of innocent people. It could be Desmond Tutu taught that anger is a part of the journey. And so forgiveness, it might take a trek. You say, Pastor Jeff, are you encouraging us not to forgive? No. I'm encouraging us to authentically forgive. That's different. And it may require a journey. A lady whose brother was killed in the conflict in Northern Ireland she said, forgiveness is a journey. Today you can forgive and tomorrow you can feel the pain all over again. A friend of mine shared, had a lady walk up to her and she told her own story of how she'd been horribly treated by a man. My friend said, do you want to forgive him? She said, no, I want him to die and I want him to die a horrible death and I want to watch And instead of saying, slapping her with a Bible, he said, but are you willing to allow Jesus to turn your head and your heart in a direction that will be so much healthier and go maybe on that long journey with him? She said, I think I could do that. Forgiveness is a precious gift and should be carefully thought about and prepared. It may take a long journey. But as we see this in the context of the Lord's Prayer, everybody, 
we realize that this prayer is not separated from the Monday mornings of our lives, but it connects right where we live. In the turbulent season, in the divided times in the 1980s in South Africa, Patrick Shamusu was an oil refinery foreman, soccer coach, who initially kept out of politics. But when the ANC bombed the refinery that he worked at, he was falsely implicated, held without charge. He and his wife, Precious, were jailed. In the movie Catch a Fire, Tim Robbins plays Nick Voss, the colonel who oversees Chamusu's interrogation. Voss pretends to be Chamusu's friend one minute and then orders his torture the next. Chamusu spent 10 years on Robin Island, kind of the Alcatraz equivalent. But when he was finally released, he realized that there was another prison, another prison waiting for him. Take a look. key in this instance represents a key to our hearts as we've been thinking about this over the course of this weekend I believe the Holy Spirit has been moving powerfully unlocking people's hearts to perhaps begin a journey maybe to realize that the awful reservoir of bitterness that sits like a stinking pool and it's infecting everything if you want to respond to this because you're asking you're not just asking God to help you you're, you're giving him a key you're giving him a key to your heart in this issue I want to invite you to reach for your keys again right now and if you don't have any keys, you can hold out an empty hand. But if you want to respond to this, I invite you just to hold out the key or hold out your hand. And around the room, people are doing this. Now, I'm going to pray in a moment. Before I pray, I invite you to close your eyes. And I invite you to take the space to tell Jesus what you'd like to tell Jesus about this as you offer this key. Go ahead. So, Lord, you hear the echoes of our hearts. You hear the 
sentences that we're trying to put together and we're holding out hands or keys inviting you in to that hurt into that bitterness we thank you for your forgiveness and we want to be clear channels of the cool water of forgiveness for some of us Lord we're at a situation we're at a place where we're able to authentically offer that even now because we've been on a journey with this for a while others of us We're just trying to begin the journey. We don't even want to forgive. We want to want to. We want to want to. But we pray in the name of Jesus that you will enable us to be beacons of grace and peace and forgiveness in this busted world. As we pray for ourselves, we pray for those hurt in London whose lives have been shattered by an evil ideology. We pray too that innocence will not be hurt in a backlash where people are generalized and categorized. We pray for leaders there, not only there, but around our world, for wisdom to know how to respond to these crises. And then we come right back to us, Lord. And we realize that you're asking us to model something more beautiful. So help us, we pray. We thank you that you're able to do it because you are mighty, bigger than us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, everyone said, and lo, they did put their keys away in a place of safety.